Okay, I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Emrick. Mike is the director of Metro Dynamics, and he is our second guest in this new series of A Frank Conversation with the Downtown Podcast, uh, as well as uh, being well known for the work that he does through Metro Dynamics. Previously, Mike has worked on Manchester's Independent Economic Review, uh, a major piece of work that uh, set out a strategy for Manchester's economic growth. Uh, and he's also worked in the Treasury. Many other things as well we'll find out about now. Uh, good day to you, Mike. Nice to see Hi, you. Always nice to see you. Uh, and listen, let's, before we get into the day job as it is now, talk a little bit about your history uh, and the things that you've done in the past. I don't know where you want to start, uh, whether you want to go right back to the beginning or perhaps uh, more illustrious uh, roles that you've enjoyed in recent times? Well, it, it's funny. Um, everything I've ever done has always been about place and growth and cities and jobs and prosperity. And it, perhaps it goes back to being um, from a downwardly mobile family. Um, you know, dad, dad's business went bust, homeless, um, rehoused by the council, watched Manchester go to hell on a handcart around me in the early 80s. You know, watched my father-in-law commit suicide um, when the last welded shopping Trafford Park closed, uh, it puts fire in, in your belly. And so everything I've done, whether it was at Claire's, uh, then Ernst & Young, then the Treasury, then into number 10, um, back to Manchester, working on um, uh, the Independent Economic Review and then devolution. It's all been about trying to make the places I work with and on be the best they can be and trying to make sure that my kids and my grandkids' generation don't have inflicted them on them what, what I did, uh, what you did, what we all did of, of our age in the north of England, because it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, wasn't necessary and it was very, very damaging. Uh, and in terms of that being your motivator, where do you think um, you've been able to make the most difference? You know, what is the thing that you can look back on? I'm sure there's more to come. But at this moment in time, if I was to say to you, OK, what's the key thing that you think uh, will uh, begin to uh, make a big, big difference moving forward? What would that be, Mike? Funnily enough, it, 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 I was having this conversation with someone the other day. Different jobs have different sorts of dynamics. And so working, working in the Treasury, you know, you, you, you affect people's lives very infrequently. But when you do, you affect them quite a lot. One, I got asked to lead a review of corporate insolvency law, which culminated uh, in, a, in the uh, 2002 Enterprise Act provisions, which kind of made it much harder for banks to foreclose on fundamentally successful businesses. It basically was a moment when, when we tipped away from um, re uh, receivers being brought in to administrative receivership and, and corporate workouts. And I, I think that that's a big one because it, it meant that when the 2008 hit, um, it meant we lost a lot more businesses as a country than we were expecting because the banks didn't all stampede the way they did in 91. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's the same. Now, now the, the price of that is more zombie businesses, but those zombie businesses are still employing people. And, and I, for one, I'm in favour of that. So that was a big one. And then you, you, you'd have to say the Manchester Independent Economic Review was the big one because, you know, what Howard Bernstein and Richard Leese and Peter Smith and the others had needed was more than just politics to help tell these 10 greater Manchester authorities that their future lay together. And they kind of knew that, but what we did was to give them the reasons, the script, and, and, and not the recipe, but the, the toolkit with which to, to learn how to make a city region work. And, and then out of that came the devolution deals that, that Howard and I, with George Osborne and John Kingman, more or less 
did ourselves, you know, with everybody else um, coming in uh, uh, behind us or on top of us, but certainly not in the room. So, uh, so they're the two things that, that I think of. And then actually, thirdly, um, if you ask me where, where my safe space, where my sanity is in this bonkers world we're all living in at the moment, well, of course, it's my nice new house and, and you know, living at home with Jessica, which is lo lovely. But the other one is, is, the, is the business. I mean, we create the business that's turning over two and a half million quid a year, you know, it's employs a thick end of 30 people and up and down the country and, and in some some places beyond there. I think we work for people trying to do economic and social policy and public policy in the way that, that I've learned is the best way from my best years in the Treasury and from working in Manchester and not just churning out the same old crap of really trying to trying to get to the bottom of problems and help people articulate solutions. So. Yeah, there's three for you. Well, that's not a bad track record, is it, to, to look back on a, a back not, from, not, not bad from a fat kid who grew up on the, you know, the Moose of the State <laughs> and got a 2-1 from Leeds Poly. No, not bad at all. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned your time at, at the Treasury. Um, and listen, I'm one of these people who will always defend uh, the new Labour government that you've worked uh, within. Uh, because for me, you know, the transformational change that that government made to people who we care about, those very deprived communities, uh, those kids who had not previously been given a chance and an opportunity. I think uh, that government actually did introduce some uh, life-changing uh, policy uh, policy directives that, that worked at a financial level. Uh, and you look at since 2010, and don't have to get into the party politics here, Mike, but there's a stark difference, isn't there, between an approach that says it's about austerity and cuts and an approach that says actually to affect positive change, to grow your economy, then you've got to invest. And I think we're at a bit of a crossroads uh, in a couple of weeks' time when Rishi Sunak does his long-awaited budget. Um, so, again, if you can cast your mind back to sort of 97 uh, and those years, uh, what were the big things that stick out for you? Those, you know, as I say, treasury-led changes that made a, a huge difference to those deprived communities that you care so much about? Um, I mean, I think I have to go back before then. I think what really characterises 2010 onwards and doesn't characterise the Labour years, or frankly, the half, four or five years before the Labour years, yes. was of a government that, that was about about uniting the country and trying to get us beyond some terrible partisan um, uh, uh, disagreements that had nearly ripped cities like Liverpool and Manchester apart. And, you know, I didn't think so at the time, but with hindsight, you know, Michael Heseltine and Ken Clark and John Gummer uh, and, um, and Chris Patton and the others um, actually were trying to repair some of the worst of the damage that Thatcher had done without losing some of the advantages that, that that kind of liberalism brought. I don't know if it's anything like the triumph she thought, but I think it, it, it certainly dealt with some of the things that had to be dealt with. And I, th I think what, what, the, what the new Labour government did was, was, was to, to build on state, you know, stable economic policy, uh, not try to squeeze inflation out and kill the economy at the same time, but, but work with the, with the grain of, of a kind of economics that, that you know, most mainstream economists would recognise as being uh, right and valid. And out of that then, comes a platform of growing the economy, which allows you to introduce uh, the minimum wage. And, you know, um, like a lot of people who watched that, I wasn't involved in it, but watched it at the time, we all thought, is this being radical enough? 
And you know, it's dead easy now to say, no, they weren't, they should have gone for a living wage, real living wage. But at the time, you know, the Tories were saying this was going to cost millions of jobs. And, and, and the idea was to get the principle established so that so that the incoming government government wouldn't abolish it, which I think they succeeded, probably clearly succeeded in doing. Uh, George Osborne went further than than Ed Miliband would have done uh, in, in 2010. So I think I think the, uh, the minimum wage has got to be has got to be you know absolutely fundamental in there. Uh, I think there was some something of a double-edged sword. You know, all the earned, earned income tax credits also helped a lot of working people. Though um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that we didn't become over reliant on them, and we couldn't have done that in different ways. Um, you know, getting the NHS up to up to you know European levels of, of funding. Uh, was was no mean feat. Um, you know, it, getting the the aid budget sorted so so that we could hold our heads up in in the world's a country that didn't just look after our own disadvantage but helped around the world. Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff, um, but there were failures, and the NHS reorganisation was a failure. Mm. Uh, school reorganisation was an abject failure. Um, I remember trying to persuade uh, Andrew Adonis not to get um, not to let Blair go mad on faith schools and the rest. And uh, you know, after that. The education system seems to me to have, if anything, got 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 more disorganised, uh, not not more. But, but but unpinning all all of that, that I I do think that you know, loving or loathing, the major governments had is a public service ethic that was about trying to make the country work. And I I think the how George George Os I mean George Osborne's claiming a lot for the North. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of the Northern Powerhouse. I think he's to be commended for that. He's commended for devolution. We've done a lot of work with him on that. But how he's got away in his reputation with the years of austerity not, not being hung around his neck, I don't know, because, because I think that period will be seen as a departure point uh, when we stopped coming together as a country, we stopped healing, however slowly, however inadequately, after the, after the 70s and 80s. Um, and it's a rupture from which many places have never fully recovered. Our public services are shocking when the Financial Times is writing editorials saying that our safety net is one of the worst in the world and, and we've lost the plot. For, then you've got to wonder what legacy every politician has left behind in the last 30 years, but perhaps more than most, um, uh, the 2010 government, which 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 reversed using language that they didn't need to, that the markets didn't require, uh, reversing out of the sensible um, uh, increases in spending that Alistair Darling had brought in after the 2008 crash far too quickly creating creating exactly the problems that you and i uh, uh, left school with mm. was austerity responsible for brexit i think in i think in significant measure yeah i mean it's got lots of um origins hasn't it um um that one of the legacies of of, of the whole period of of, of post-war policy certainly since the since the end of the 60s was of places feeling more and more left behind communities feeling more and more isolated you know government feeling more and more remote i don't think we talk about that enough you know um first first of all the, your big firms close and you you know a lot of the smaller firms close the high street empties out people who can make decisions and then you know last of all the council goes on into a unitary authority based somewhere else this feeling that power is always somewhere else um i think i think is is a is a deep problem uh, I, you know, uh, I think there is a, an unworked out contract between governments and British people about about migration that we've never really fully settled. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm massively in favour of, of, of migration and think it contributes hugely uh, to our, not just our economy, but it does, but to our society and the richness and diversity of it. But I don't, I don't think that's a contract that was ever fully settled with 
with um, the communities um, uh, where, you know, some places, you know, an Asian community came in to work the night shift in the mills or whatever. And I, I think, all, I, I often think what, what, what makes uh, somewhere like, you know, Glodick in Oldham uh, uh, quite different from Hayes, where I used to live, just you near know, where I used to live in, in West London, uh, is, is, that, is that Glodick hasn't got Heathrow Airport on the doorstep. You know, if you, if you took all the jobs at Heathrow away from the diverse community around Hayes, I dare say, I dare say you'd be talking about the Hayes riots, not, not the Oldham riots in 91 and 2001. So I think, I think they're a good slice of nationalism. Uh, I mean, I think one of the things that I, I loathe about, about our politics at the moment, and I think our government succumbs to this too much, is, is a certain kind of nationalist populism, uh, which has fanned the flames of those things rather than seeking to explain and to uh, justify you know, why it is that we as a country have, have, have done some things. Because uh, you know, it produces a, a, pack of lies, a pack of lies that, that people are being fed. I, sorry, I, I had a text exchange with a fisherman in uh, St Abbs in Scotland this week, because when I was on holiday, on my, my summer holiday in October in, um, in Berwick-upon-Tweed, we went, uh, we went up to catch fish off uh, some lobster and crab boats at St Abbs. You know, these guys are terrified for their lives. Uh, um, uh, the, at Eymouth, just down the coast, you know, all the boats are tied up. That's what they were all demonstrating in London. Yeah, they were lied to. Um, the deal didn't sort what, what, what they said it was going to sort. E even if it was a trade deal that, with no tariffs, there's a whole bunch of stuff beyond tariffs that, 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 that gets in the way. And, and this sort of populism, you just go for the hard truth that gets you where you need to, rather, rather than levelling with people. It's a terrible curse we've got to get out of our politics. I, I want to talk about what I see as the, the extremes of political uh, debate in our country at this moment in time and how we can potentially get back to a more uh, mature discourse moving forward. But before that, I don't want to leave Brexit without asking your opinion uh, in terms of whether you think it's permanent, firstly, uh, and if not, um, what a route back to uh, the EU might mean. Or is there something in between, Mike? Because, uh, again, I think you and I will both concede, even as Remainers, uh, we can identify many faults uh, within the organisation that is known as the European Union. So, you know, do we have to, from the outside looking in, um, continue to push for reform? I know our influence, of course, isn't going to be as great, but nonetheless, there's a commentary uh, that a, a former member can make particularly if you're looking to make that relationship warmer as we move forward. So, I mean, you know, I'm as passionate uh, an advocate of our membership of the European Union as you'll find, but, but, you know, even if I think the referendum was an absurd, unanswerable question, because we didn't know what the alternative was, we only really found that out on box, Boxing Day this year. Um, you know, it's done, they won, we lost. And I don't think it helps anybody to just bang on endlessly about it. Um, I think the real fight is about for, as it always was on this, because I, 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 I profoundly believe that the remaining European Union was in our economic, social and political interests, environment, environmental interests as well come to that. And so, and so what I expect of all our politicians, um, and uh, sadly not enough of them were concentrated on this on either side of the aisle in, in the Commons um, over the last few years, is, is what's in the interest of the British people. Um, and I, I think what's in the interests of the British people is making sure that we don't diverge too far from the high standards where they're appropriate in Europe. And it seems to me that in relation to the, 
whether it's the working uh, uh, time directive, you know, other aspects of what we used to call social Europe, that we don't deviate from them because actually the thing that's holding us back alongside this wretched pandemic is too many poor people uh, with precarious work already despite the overweening EU employment laws, you know, we've got too many people, more people than want zero hours contracts are on them, more, more people are on flexible and part-time working than want it, uh, more people are just about getting minimum wage or being ripped off by not even getting minimum wage than want it. You know, the idea that we want to peel back our employment laws to make them even more precarious in, in those sorts of jobs is for the birds. So I think, you know, making sure that we stick to environmental laws, um, uh, social, social protection, all those things uh, is important and that, and that we deviate where it's genuinely in our interests. I have to say, I can't immediately see that many areas. Um, uh, and the other thing is going to be, you know, I, I, I've, I've been tweeting out a lot, just things I see that are about what, what the impact of Brexit on the border or with different sectors, you know, not favouriting them, not pontificating, but just saying, look, here's evidence, evidence, evidence. And, and there's plenty of evidence, you know, the obvious, obviously the big one that made the press was the, was the lorry drivers and the ham sandwiches, but yeah. that's at the end of a very large wedge. And you know, people like me who said, a skinny deal that's got no tariffs is, is, is nothing like as good as it sounds because non-tariff barriers are exactly where sovereign states can make hay, so far being proved right. Now let's hope, and you know, I don't want to fight the Brexit debate by people in businesses across this country not being able to export. Um, I, I, I want them to be able to export. You know, so many of us in our lives have had to spend our time making the best of something we profoundly don't believe in, and we have to continue to do that um, because because that's that's where we are, and that's that's what as professionals and as grown ups we've got to do. Um, I, I think I think we're going to continue to see friction at the border. You know, I saw something today saying the, the chaos at the ports is getting uh, worse, not better, because the things have piled up and piled up, and now becoming habituated. Mm. So the transaction costs to business, people, people you know, the unpredictability as people lose perishable uh, products is a terrible is a terrible business. But so so the number one priority is to look after our, our interests by making this work. And frankly, where it suits us to align, which I think it probably will on a lot of things, align with Europe, uh, at the European Union to, to, to get better uh, terms on things, we, we should do so. And then, but we can only do that if we don't politicise every decision that, that we do on our own, e.g. Uh, e some, some aspects of what the government said on, on the, the vaccine for COVID, where it, it sought to rub salt in the wounds, actually, despite the fact that the, were, the, the wounds were, were created in the minds of those people trying to rub it. Um, so there's, you know, what we need is some really grown-up politics, a bit less sloganeering. And you know, for my money, I think Keir Starmer has has has, has tried in a fairly unemotional and, and and forensic way to hold the government to account on those things, which, frankly, uh, is a damn sight better than his predecessor did, um, and, and no bad thing either. Mm. And so, if we move just on to how. The debate, not just on Brexit uh, and some of the solutions that will be need to will need to be found uh, to those difficulties and challenges you've identified, Mike. And there's more to come, I think. Um, how do we get back to um, the mature discourse of debate that we, as a country, uh, enjoyed for many, many years? I mean, I, I remember thinking back in the uh, late seventies and early eighties that you couldn't get a more rancorous environment for political debate then. 
Um, but, you know, in recent times, I've found myself um, looking back in melancholy at the Thatcher years and thinking, I wish she was in charge again, because at least we'd have some consistency. Well, I knew, oh, where, I think, yeah. I knew where she was going. I might not have agreed with it, but at least I knew what the route map was. Um, but I also think that, you know, even back in her time, you mentioned some of the characters earlier, you know, the Heseltines, the Clarks, the Pattons. Um, there was a, a, a team of people uh, around Margaret Thatcher, even if you disagreed with the overall strategic uh, direction of travel, you could see that there were people in there that had the country's interests at, at heart and actually were quite prepared uh, and able to sit down and have uh, a rational and reasoned debate and evidence what they were saying. Um, I, I think we've just turned into a country, Mike, politically, where sloganising and sound bites have replaced anything like uh, a discussion and a debate, and the country is worse for it. Now, Kia, as you say, has started, I think, to attempt to hold the government to account uh, far more effectively than his predecessor ever did. Uh, nonetheless, um, if you go onto any social media platform, if you watch our news channels these days, uh, we're still, uh, I think, you know, basically carrying on this sloganising, uh, soundbite nature of uh, our world of politics. How do we get out of that? Can we get out of that in the modern 21st century? Well, I hope that anyone who was watching why I'm at the Capitol building um, in, in America last week or week four last will have, will have seen where that leads you. Um, it leads you to insurrection. Was it a coup? Was it not a coup? It was certainly some of the ugliest scenes that you would ever expect to see and definitely not in the, uh, in, in the United States of America. And, and that's where the politics of lies in the end gets you. Um, so I, I, I hope that that's put a shock into our system. I think there'd be no one thing. I think COVID will. Uh, I think, you know, it looks to me as if the government's rollout of the vaccine is not going badly, but pretty pretty much everything before that has been pretty rank. Yeah. Um, and, and the consequence of that looks to me to be about the highest death rate per thousand population in the world, there or thereabouts. Uh, and I think that the, the reckoning on that will, 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 will be a debate about, about things that matter. So whether or not we did have a, a tracking uh, a test and trace system that was but world beating whether we did have uh, all the surge capacity we needed whether we did have uh, the preparation and i think on all of those we're going to find the answer is no we didn't um and, and the result of that is is thousands of people dead who shouldn't be a lot of them poor working people in the same areas where uh, where diseases in the 19th and early 20th century had the same impact and you know that produced um uh, 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 reactions in in the Liberal Party and then in the Labour Party, actually within, within the Tory Party, and that's what's needed. We've got to respond uh, to uh, the things that happen, but that can only happen bluntly if the opposition does its job, and if those people within the you know the ranks of of, of the Tory benches in Parliament stand up and call out things that aren't good enough. E.g., the you know the government's what well, looks like mishandling of the of the cut to universal credit. But it actually requires something of all of us. Um, you know, you don't have to go to the notion of Athenian democracy where you all have to be in the room to make the decisions to understand that if you think democracy and, and progress is what you do at a ballot box, 
you know, every five years for um, uh, a general election, every year or two for your council, you're drunk. That's just not how it works. You know, we've all got to own these things in our in our businesses, in our personal lives. You know, call out stuff that we know is wrong, um, and you know, act as if act as if we you know, we believe in in a, in a better way of, of of running the world. Because what you see from Trump is that the behaviour that that his behaviour has bred amongst the people is 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 almost literally like a cancer that goes that's, that's now ripped right the way through American society, which is divided down the middle. Um, we're not there, I don't think. I, I don't think we're anything like as bad as we were in the Thatcher days. Um, I think that's rose-tinted spectacles, Frank, um, or age, for both, for both for both of us. But um, but but we go there at our peril, and and some grown-ups have got uh, you know in Parliament, in politics, in councils, in business, in public life, have got to stand up and be counted. And that's that's why we're you know one of the things that we're uh, we, we've been thinking about getting getting our old friend those discuss debates going again because. Because, you know, the reason we set this course up in 2013 was that we wanted to have debate about big issues and felt that, you know, people weren't having those debates. And so I hope we, we might be working with you um, later on this year on, on getting those going again, because you, all, all you can ever do is do your bit. Um, and and that's, that's hopefully a bit we can do. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting that off the ground. It keeps getting prematurely planned to be relaunched, but I'm sure we'll get there in 2021 at some stage. Uh, just sticking with this uh, political discourse of a May for now, and you've mentioned the American example. Um, uh, and, of course, what you saw there was a takeover, wasn't it, of uh, the, the traditional Republican Party by uh, the Tea Party and then Trumpism. Um, and I suppose that... The Labour Party almost fell into that trap of, of a cult figure and then a cult movement behind him, um, taking over the movement, the organisation, which led then to a record defeat at the general election. Is there any fear in your mind that, you know, given the fact that we've had a pandemic, given the fact that we may have uh, a deep recession moving forward, we'll come on to how we can potentially avoid that in a moment. Well, doesn't stretch the imagine, imagination too far, Mike, does it, to think that in three or four years' time, you know, Labour gets beaten again because it's got a hell of a mountain to climb. Uh, the left then say, well, that's because we weren't left-wing enough. Uh, and we, yeah, we, they will. You know, we elect another... They always say that. We elect another uh, person from, from that lunatic fringe of the party. My description, not yours. Uh, but then the Conservative Party feel emboldened uh, to play that right-wing nationalist card uh, a, a bit more than it already has done. I mean, they, they were shameless uh, in the Brexit debate. Some of them were. Um, you know, that, that is, you know, my glass half empty moment um, says this actually could end up in an American situation, but almost worse because the Labour Party will be uh, go further to the left and you'd have a Tory party that's disappearing to the right. Any sense for, from you that, that that will happen or do you, are you a bit more confident? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, quite a lot uh, riding on Keir Starmer's shoulders. Um, uh, you know, I, I've known progressive people of, who voted for every party who said they'd never vote Labour again after after um, Jeremy Corbyn and the anti-Semitism uh, uh, scandal and um, 
uh, the notion that the you know I mean I think in the case of John McDonald he was a, an avowed revolutionary um, um, and I, I just I just I fail to see how 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 that's ever going to persuade you know the 47 48 percent of the British people or whatever it is you need to win a general election uh, to vote for you and if and if and if, if if Her Majesty's loyal opposition is led by somebody who has those views then I think the scenario you, you describe becomes inevitable actually um, um, uh, the, the 2019 general election result tells you everything there is to know on that um, because that's where that's where it led to the worst defeat the the, the, the Labour Party had had uh, since the 1930s um, so a lot rides on Keir Starmer's shoulders um, and a lot of, of people who do politics which I don't really these days uh, because you know I'm running the business and a, 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 a baroque orchestra and various other things We've all got a part, a part to play, though, uh, which is to which is to make sure that, that we keep focused on the things that matter. And that's why that's why, let's say, you know, a, a, an extreme left wing radical came out and said, well, let's rejoin the EU. I'd say, you know, as much as I think we should should still be in there, just away with it. You know what matters in politics and you know, bad politics is in the long, long run, um, never good economics. So what I what I care about is, is jobs and growth and prosperity and stability and sustainability. And what's going to deliver that is is a majority of, of the good people of this country and the majority of this people of this country are good voting for things that, that help us be stronger, uh, uh, have a better safety net for those who need it better support for those to help them stand on their own two feet, uh, successful businesses. And, you know, honestly, uh, I, I worry that the Conservative Party that, that I grew up watching, that, that was supposed to stand for those things, I'm, I'm just not sure that, that, that that's what they stand for. You know, the, the union's under threat. Um, a lot of our industries uh, are under threat because of this, because of the nature of the Brexit deal, uh, you know, I, I, there's a there's a, a yawning chasm for who for someone again it could be with the Tory party it could be with Liberals or it, or it could be it could be Keir Starmer's Labour to fill the gap which is where New Labour was which bluntly is uh, is is not a million miles away uh, from where uh, the likes of Michael Heseltine were uh, back in the mid nineties uh, and that's where British politics will be won or lost and I think where our economic future will be forged. Mm. Mike. You've- mentioned uh, a number of names throughout the conversation that we've had today and I think running through uh, the themes that we've discussed um, leadership is clearly uh, one of the things that perhaps we've not seen enough of uh, over the past nine months certainly Uh, and you've worked alongside some of the best um, certainly politically and probably uh, within the private sector as well um, to you, what are, what are the ingredients that make a, a good leader? Um, a combination of things. I, I think determination, uh, focus and clarity must be at the heart of it. You know, knowing where you want to get to, um, uh, a clarity, not confusing, confusing ends and means. That's one of the things I always say when I'm doing talks. You know, people, people always confuse um, the ends with means. In the end, you know, Actually, if any given services in the public or private sector, on, on the whole, not everything, I'd say I don't really care. What I care about is 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 things that work for people. And actually, sometimes that's public sector, and sometimes it's private sector. And you know, so that was where Blair was good. Yeah, yeah. he he instinctively understood that people were sick of waiting for uh, for stuff from uh, uh, from crap public bureaucracies uh, and and from crap private bureaucracies. It was a bit too 
quick to criticize the former and not enough to criticize the latter but 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 he understood it and he drove that through you know and the leaders of greater manchester that i i work with understood that our future as 10 boroughs in this city region where i'm sat now uh, lay with with those 10 people those boroughs uh, uh, and the cities working together and and doing so with a clarity being prepared to make the compromises needed uh, uh, and and to bring people together um and and so I suppose that that all sounds a bit motherhood and apple pie. What are these things not? They're not doctrinaire, mm. ideological. They're not um, shrill rhetorically based. They're based on real hard analysis of, of 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 what's needed and what's right. And they're driven for the long term. I mean, you know, the thing the thing that astonishes me is that you know the leaders who got this city um uh, uh to, to where it is through the devolution process i mean richard lisa's still there elected to the council was in 81 or 82 howard retired five years ago and worked there since 1973 or something you know um uh god alone knows how old peter smith is you know th th so that that they they stuck at it um and you know the same group of people who kicked militants out of the uh, labor party nationally that, that culminated in in may 97 and 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 uh, and that you know, 13 years of of government, you know, that was a, the same project, the same kind of project, a 20, a 20 plus year project. So, so I think a certain amount of stickability uh, is needed in your leadership to, uh, to, uh, to 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 get through the tough times and and you know be there for when the arguments won to uh, to, to to deliver on your, on the promise that you made. In modern day politics, do you need to be a good communicator to be a good leader? Um, well, of course you do. I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice if we'd have people who weren't just good communicators, who actually had something to communicate um, uh, that wasn't slogans and, and, and rhetoric. Uh, and that's... I, yeah, let me just make sense of that question, really, because I'm listening back to that. doesn't make much sense. But, you, you know, I suppose one of the criticisms of Kia will be he's not particularly dynamic, he's not charismatic, he doesn't burst onto the stage, does he, in terms of a Boris, let's say, for example. Well, I, I, you know, I, I wish he hadn't burst onto the stage um, uh, talking about bent bananas and cucumbers, whatever they were, that it was all made up on his desk bureau desk in Brussels. I don't know. I I, I, I think I might get Matthew Paris in last week's Times, Saturday Times column out, out of my head. There was a point he was making was that oh, Boris needs his... About Mandelson. No, no, about, about Keir Starmer. That Keir Starmer oh, okay. He needs his clause four moment. He needs to pick his fight. Um, I don't know if I quite buy that. What I do buy is, you know, governments kind of do lose elections rather than oppositions winning them. But at the point where governments are losing elections, oppositions have got to have really clear ideas. Mm. You know, the five pledges uh, that Labour had in 97 were, mm. were clear. Brexit, you know, the promise of Brexit, you know, love it, love it, is clear. You've got to have something that really catches the mood of people about things they care about, um, and and I, I, my view is it's probably a bit premature for anyone to expect that of Keir Starmer because he's he's uh, he's dealing with a crisis like the rest of us and holding the government to account on that. Dealing with the aftermath of Brexit, where where uh, he's he's got to hold his own party together on that as well, um, and and we're still you know three and a half plus years away from a general election. Uh, he's going to have time for 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 that. Um, so far, so good. But I, I do think he's going to have to have it. He's going to have, you know, one of the, I wrote a, a little note to some friends after the 2010 election, after Miliband lost it for Labour, 
and and I, what I couldn't believe was that as I was writing it, Osborne was announcing things that were were actually more radical than Miliband had dared to put in the Labour manifesto. Mm. So you know, I think a lot of people who experienced that that era of politics, the managerialism of it, got a bit cowed by big ideas. And we got sucked into believing it was all about you know marginal tweaks of this tax rate and that tax rate, all very important stuff. I think I think if we learn anything from Brexit, it's that big ideas still have huge reson resonance. They could be good ideas or bad ideas. Um, and I think I think Keir Starmer has got to work out what his are. And you know, it is quite possible that out of the rubble of COVID, we're going to need uh, uh, you know the 1944 Education Act, beverage and everything else rolled into one. You know, really big. Uh, uh, ideas unless the roaring 20s really do take hold so he he could have his moment but you'll have to see it coming and prepare for it and um uh, 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 I, I just hope he is mm. that moves us on nicely as a segue to uh post-covid uh, and what the uk and the world in fact might look like and you know economic recovery is something that mike you've been working on for lots of your career you know you you mentioned the independent Not working in Manchester, uh, and you've worked in many other places as well uh, in terms of how you get a boost into your local economy, regional economy. Um, but look, you, you've just mentioned this is a I hate the word because it's been overused, but an unprecedented crisis, <laughs> uh, and we've never seen the like. Uh, and you know, my belief is that the person or the political leader who is prepared to be really bold, um, really ambitious, and really confident, actually, in an ability to deliver, uh, will be the winner uh, at the outset of all this. And you've touched upon that when you've talked about big ideas. Um, but you, of course, are working both at a micro and macro level through Metro Dynamics, because those big ideas often take a number of years to come to fruition. Uh, and of course, if you're a, a regional mayor or a local authority leader, um, you're looking for things that are going to make almost immediate impact. What are the sort of things that cities and places should be looking at right now um, to begin to think about the recovery process? Well, as you know, we helped uh, Liverpool City Council uh, and indeed after that the combined authority there with their recovery work. And, and I think there's some really good clues in that and some work we did subsequently in Manchester and, and across the country. Let, let me try and pull together a, a few of the things we've talked about already. Yeah. Um, what are the what's the crisis facing? Um, uh, um, uh, you know, towns across the country. Uh, you've got COVID. Uh, you've got uh, lots of people on furlough or, or 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 unemployed. In a lot of those towns, there was a lack of skilled work, particularly for people who don't have uh, great educational qualifications. Uh, too much unstable work. You have people living in. You know, what COVID figures show is uh, people living in overcrowding or in substandard housing are much more likely to be uh, badly affected health-wise by COVID. Uh, oh, and by the way, we've got a climate emergency around us. And I, it's terrible. And I was in government; they hate it when people come up with the one one-hit solution uh, that gets a whole bunch of things like that. But it's there, staring us in the face. And it, we put it in in the Liverpool recovery plan because Tony and his team did a great work of uh, of, of working it up, and it's there. In what Manchester wanted and it's there in the country and, and the government saw it and they said no and came up with something pathetic. Yeah. It's about dealing with um, the fact that if you live in the north of England you're much more likely to live in a pre-1919 house. It's very likely to have poor heating. 
It's very likely to have poor, venti uh, poor ventilation. Uh, and because it's, uh, you're more likely to be in a poor household, you're more likely to be in overcrowding. We, we need a massive retrofit programme. You know, uh, with, with community heat and power, using uh, renewables as part of the solution, uh, upgrading people's homes, creating, you know, very quickly, large numbers of skills and semi-skilled and quite a lot of unskilled jobs. We could, if we wanted, instead of spending all the money we were spending on furlough and on benefits, we could actually spend quite a lot of that on refitting the housing stock. Instead, what did the government do? They did what the national government always does. They came up with a national programme that said, what we'll do is we'll route a few thousand quid per household through an existing network of suppliers who will, sure, are doing good work, but it simply doesn't answer the fact that the people who need their homes insulating are paying a lot of money for, for fuel they can't afford and therefore not heating their homes properly um, and not ventilating properly and therefore uh, be more likely to contract COVID. You know, they're not going to be affected by that. So, so big ideas, you know, saying that we're, that, that we're going to, you know, um, refit every, everybody's home to be you know, as, as, as close to carbon neutral as we could get and pre-1919 terrace would, would be game-changing for a lot of communities, creating jobs, reducing carbon emissions. And that's, that sort of idea, I think, could really grab, grab attention and headlines. Costs money, but, you know, at the moment, we seem to be spending quite a lot of money on kind of things that aren't delivering great value, even if they're necessary. Yeah. Sticking plasters, really, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. I, I and, that, and that is, you know, that's a criticism that you could fairly level at some of the new Labour government, that you absolutely could le level at what's happened since, is that we haven't really got into the ribs of the issues mm. that are, are holding back the towns and the bits of towns in the country, the bits of cities uh, that aren't faring very well. Another one is education and skills. I mean, everyone, you know, we're working on the Lancashire Independent Economic Review. Every politician I've spoke to just lambasts the um, the further education system. You know, uh, the fact that, you know, getting getting the skills to get on in a town without getting a degree remains as tough today as it did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Probably tougher because there's less capacity in colleges. Mm. And, and, you know, devolution, we were told we couldn't go near skills and education. Um uh, maybe the T levels will make a difference, but I'm convinced there's something in that space too. Mm. And I think you you just mentioned the D word, so let me move on to that because I think you know an awful lot of what you're saying, Mike. Um, it's about delivery as well, and one of the things that ought to have been learnt over the last nine months is where you've got local delivery and you've got good partnerships between national uh, and regional or local government, you can often deliver. Um, very innovative um, solutions to the problems that you're facing. So, it, you know, the test and trace system in Liverpool, for example, uh, was one of the things which I'm sure we could have rolled out sooner had the government's ears been open to that conversation earlier. Uh, and I think moving forward, if we do continue with this one-size-fits-all approach, uh, unfortunately, we're going to get the results that we've had for many, many years now because we've not really in England seen any level of genuine devolution the closest we've come uh, is greater manchester is there any hope uh, that we will see uh, further devolution and additional powers being given to uh, andy Byrne and atal as as we move uh, out of this crisis are the people within whitehall do you think who are ready to relinquish those levers of powers on the basis that they've seen how a local or regional uh, plan can often deliver better results. 
Your very last point first. The truth is that because we haven't had enough devolution, you can never quite make the argument as powerfully as you want that the that local local delivery can make a difference because um, there's there's a sort of a counterfactual problem. The alternative doesn't exist because we have such a top-down system in this country. Um, are there people who want to devolve more in government? Yeah, I was talking to a civil servant um, in Whitehall this morning, a senior civil servant who would gladly do it. And I know he, I know all of his uh, colleagues in that department and others would want to do the same thing. A lot of the mandarins might well want to hang on to power, but ministers want to hold on to power. And mm. one of the one of the opportunities we had through this was for for exactly the sort of thing you described, Frank. I think the Liverpool testing example is a very good one. Uh, they could have built on what Oldham was doing on uh, Oldham had a very different way of identifying um, super spreaders and you know really smart. But the government chose to be a bit tin-eared mm. um, on that stuff because because the National Health Service mentality, which is relentlessly top-down, has driven everything. And uh, I, I, I don't think Andy Burnham's spat with uh, the Prime Minister helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm, I, know, I know for a fact it didn't help. We all know that. We can see it. Um, uh, and, you know, Sadiq Khan's relationship with the Prime Minister isn't one that's uh, uh, particularly cordial, I don't think. So the fact that, that we've got this populist, personality-driven politics um, hasn't helped us. Um, and I'm, I, I think if areas come forward with proposals for devolution that are broadly agreed by local stakeholders, I think getting more deals like um, what Liverpool City Region and the North of Tyne and the West Midlands have got is an option. Getting as far as Manchester might be tricky, but I think it's not impo- implausible. But it's going to have to be locally led by those places, by people going across the aisle, so to speak, across parties, across traditional rivalries between towns and, and, uh, uh, and what have you, to, to make those arguments so that places come together and present an argument to government. Um, uh, but I don't, think, I don't think that devolution is high on the list of this government at the moment. They consider themselves to be running a, a national pandemic through, through policies that they wish to, to design and control. Um, and, and therefore that, that does put the onus on places. That could and should change, um, because I just don't. I just don't think anyone working in practice in a local area, and that's as true of a job centre manager as it is of a council chief executive, as it is of a, an NHS foundation trust, or anyone else, believes that you can fix intergenerational poverty, poor health, um, uh, uh, low levels of human capital by the, by the relentless application of top-down policies invented in Whitehall. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. And yet we have a fiction in this country that says we can. Um, and, you know, I, I, I said, to, you know, I, I did the local government policy job in, in the number 10 policy unit, you know, um, uh, uh, help advising the prime minister on what, to, what, what policies have with local government. I, I've advised nearly everybody in the, uh, you know, 18 years since I did that job, that they should go for a commission on the future of local government because we... You know, this is such a big issue for this country. It's not an accident. It's a product of the way we're set up with Parliament being the sovereign body and there being no constitution that guarantees powers to, to other authorities. I, what we always hope through devolution is that we can show that it's not a threat, it can help, we can build on it. I still think we can do that. But fixing the problem is going to require us to have a different sort of constitutional settlement of a kind that we might have uh, uh, were the union to break up because of Brexit or anything else. Mm. Sticking with devolution and, and perhaps a, a positive and a negative, um, 
we've got West Yorkshire on the verge of electing its first, and they'll have a devolution yep. in place, and, and that'll be operating maybe from May, maybe from July. They're talking about the elections being delayed potentially. Um, but then the other thing that I think the, the gloss is slowly but surely coming off is this Northern Powerhouse brand, particularly with the announcement uh, last week, I think it was, in terms of the cut to transport infrastructure funding. Uh, and I think the Northern Powerhouse, uh, almost by default, uh, has been turned into a, a, a transport body, you know, because the big projects that they've been talking of for five years now have all been around Northern Powerhouse Rail, HS2, those big, shiny infrastructure projects. Um, any thoughts on that? Will the Leeds devolution deal or the West Yorkshire devolution deal, I should say, um, will that add some wind to the sails? Uh, of the, the the devolutionists or do you think that it's something that as i say northern powerhouse you, you know it doesn't appear to have been making the progress that we'd have hoped to well on will yorkshire's devolution west yorkshire's devolution do help yes of course it will because uh, i i think we are a better stronger country for having mayors from from, from you know um uh, uh the the north of time uh, down to Bristol, mayors in those, west of England, you know, mayors in those places arguing for things um, just makes a difference. They, they, you know, you read article after article where mayors are quoted, they're now part of the national conversation. So the journey started and having, you know, uh, a really serious city uh, like Leeds and its, its conurbation with the other West Yorkshire authorities must, must add to that. Where we go from there, I, I don't really know um it's we, we might see more powers i hope we do see more powers whether whether the northern powerhouse is is part of it i think is is a slightly different thing and you know the prime minister in his in his first speech after the election in doncaster said we we're gonna have a northern business growth body well that's not been heard of uh, for some while um i'd quite like to see that because that would be that would be the next logical step for, for the for the northern powerhouse I'm I'm more of a I'm more charitable towards the Northern Powerhouse perhaps than, than than you are by the implication of your question in 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 the following sense, Rome wasn't built in a day, um, and much much as Peter Savile used to say about Manchester as the original modern city, that was a statement of aspiration more than a fact, um, and I'd say the Northern Powerhouse is the same, um, and it was always going to take a generation or more to uh, to get the Northern Powerhouse up and running. I think it is frankly incredible that they cut the budget last week and 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 there was so little furore about it uh, that worries me that suggests that um uh, that we're all too busy focusing on other things or just not focusing on the right thing um, um nor do i think i mean I, I, I'm, I'm no spokesman for henry uh, morrison or jim o'neill or for george osborne but you know i i think i think certainly uh, every time i spoke to henry or or, or to jim um uh, which i do more than do for george osborne uh, they've said to me that they believe this, the, the Northern Powerhouse is about much more than transport. It's about uh, skills and housing and uh, education uh, and a lot of other things. I, I guess the, the most charitable way I view it is this. COVID has, has wiped the floor with everything in, in domestic politics because stopping the NHS falling over, uh, saving lives, um, making sure we have an economy that's uh, that's as, as little damage as possible has been the priority. It's, there's been a suspension of a lot of the normality of, of activity. But um, 
but there's also but that's actually a really good time to start to do some some planning on these things um, and that's why i think the, the transport cut last week was such a peculiarly peculiarly badly timed idea you know what we need to be seeing is the north tooling up if we're serious about leveling up and about the, the idea of a north firehouse, firehouse we'd be tooling up you know um, um the beverage report came out um while hitler still controlled large parts of, of europe uh, the 1944 education act the creative post-war education um, similarly, so you know, the, what, I, I hate the war analogy, but but I'm using it, so let me carry on. You know, uh, uh, when when you can see the end in sight of the wars, not not a bad time to to do your the planning. And 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 I'm not seeing much sign of that. I hope I'm wrong. And if we are seeing it, then I would expect the Northern Powerhouse will will be a part of it because even combined authorities like Greater Manchester, the Liverpool City region, and then in due course West Yorkshire can't fix a lot of their problems on their own a lot of these issues go you know whether it's climate change um uh, or transport which literally cross boundaries or or skills and education which are common across the the great northern midland cities you know they can't do these things alone they should be making common cause and and the idea of a northern powerhouse as an aspiration strikes me as being a valid part of that a necessary part of that even. mike i've asked you about you know your previous achievements we looked ahead to, to what the future might be like and what are the sort of things that can get us back onto the road of recovery. I've asked you about leadership and you gave us sort of the ingredients of, of what make good leaders. Uh, let me ask you about, to finish the conversation today, because people love these questions really, personalities that you've worked alongside, um, that at this moment in time you think, if I could put two or three of them around the cabinet table, We've been a much better place in three years' time than we are now. Well, you you want Blair back in there. Um, actually, you want Mandelson back in there as well. Um, Peter Mandelson. Not many people of under forty will remember Peter Mandelson, but he 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 will be good. In fact, I, I I you know I I could I can make the argument for a government of national unity that's got got them Gordon Brown, Michael Hesseltine, and if and if they had, but uh, I'd be in there, of course. Um, uh, with Howard and uh, Howard Bernstein and one or two others who I've met along along that journey, I think, yeah, they're the greats. I mean, the person the person who I I I, I never met, but I, I think would have been brilliant at this stuff right now would have been Dennis Healy. Mm. If I've got if I've got a hero in politics, it's probably Dennis Healy, because mm. um, I I just think I just think actually he lived through such awfulness as Defence Secretary and as Chancellor of the Exchequer. I think he would he he would have come he would have come through the lessons of uh, of how, how to handle how to handle this pandemic and what comes out of it. Mike, good set of characters that you've left us with there to. All male though, I, I notice. I wouldn't want yeah. yeah. that. I wouldn't want in there. Well, you know, Yvette Cooper is 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 a name who who I think could still you know come back from and and, and resurrect. So let, let let Yvette Cooper chair that lot. And good luck to her. Okay. Well, listen, you couldn't uh, you couldn't say this, but I will. I, I put uh, Jessica Bowles in charge of the, uh, the regeneration of the uh, portfolio within any cabinet, and she'd do a great job, I'm sure. But listen, mate, it's been great to catch up, as always. Fascinating stuff. Uh, and listen, let's hope we can uh, catch up face-to-face -face very soon. But that's been uh, Mike Emmerich having a frank conversation for the Downtown in Business podcast.